Hi, I'm Lena Carlson, and welcome to another episode of the EUipso CEO Playbook. I'm here with Oliver Aust, who's the founder and CEO of EUipso Communications, and he just told me that he did his very first TikTok post today. Hi, Lena. Yes, I did, and a 12-year-old explained it to me. Now, as much as I'd love to get into how interesting TikTok is, today we're going to be talking about political communications. Yeah, that's right. So, no child's game here.、Um, political communication is really important for CEOs. Obviously, they communicate with internal, and external stakeholders and audiences, and politicians and regulators are just a very important one of them. So I know a lot of people here at EUipso start their day off by reading the Politico newsletter, which comes to your inbox、right. every day. But I think it would be fair to say that a lot of people aren't thinking about the importance of political communications when they're thinking about their business. Yeah, that's true, and, and there are good reasons why they should. A lot of industries are highly regulated.、Uh, take banking or transport or energy, defence, telecoms, chemicals. So the list goes on and on. And many other industries are under threat of regulation. So if you take the tech sector, for instance, it's pretty lightly regulated, but there's always the question: Well, will that change? So in addition to these industry-specific regulations and laws, what you have is obviously、um, those that cut across, like taxation or data protection. So when the Europe Data protection law entered into force last year. That affected all businesses. So there are good reasons to follow what's going on. And if you think you're involved or should be involved as a stakeholder because you're directly or indirectly affected,、uh, then you should make your voice heard. Yeah, I remember when GDPR came into effect. That was one of the first times people had really thought about, okay, what does this mean for me and the way I do business, and what do I need to think about next to make sure that I'm compliant. And I think, particularly at the moment, as the world gets more fragmented, it's really crucial for businesses to be aware of, you know, the political communications going on、um, in the markets they're interested in, and just take these like e-scooters, for example, that are coming into lots of major cities in Europe now. Yeah. The ball game is different in every city because the regulations are completely different. Yeah, and they weren't even legal in Germany until a few months ago. And the day they became legal, all of a sudden we had like four or five,、um, you know, different companies out there. So you can see how, how a simple change in the law can open up a new segment of the transportation industry. But at the same time, if anything changes, that may affect the business model as well. So, with the ever-changing nature of politics, I mean, just take Brexit for example.、Yeah. We've had how many deadlines now?、Uh, we're on the second one, really. But、um, you make a really good point, which is it's not just about policy and laws and regulations that may affect you, which you want to have a you know a say in.、Uh, it's also politics, and Brexit is a clear-cut、uh, clear-cut example of that. How high politics at the highest level affects. Thousands of businesses, if not millions of businesses across Europe.、Um, there's the trade dispute between the EU and the US, which also、uh, affects most businesses here because pretty much every relevant larger business trades with the US. So. Also, there you see big companies in particular, but also trade organisations、um, representing smaller companies, making their voice heard and making sure people understand how it would affect them. So let's talk about lobbying because that's a word that comes up a lot, and I think it has a bit of a bad reputation. You know, people kind of think of the lobbyists as the people that are, you know, feeding the pockets of politicians. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What exactly does lobbying mean for a normal businessman or woman? 
Yeah, so, I mean, lobbying is the word I use. Um, we talk about political communications. You can use advocacy or interest representation. And yes, there are unethical practices, no doubt, and they are unacceptable. Um, but that's not different from any other sector, any other activity. If you take banking, it can be extremely useful, uh, but it can also be uh, unethical. And, you know, the same is true for many, many parts of the economy. So um, it depends how it is done, and it should always be done in an ethical way. You can see lobbying or political communications as a fundamental aspect of any democracy because if you think of it there's you know a civil servant or minister who's probably not has any experience or exposure to your industry but is then tasked with regulating your industry or coming up with solutions for a problem how would he or she do that without talking to the people affected so if you're regulating say the health sector uh, and there's a new law coming up because there's a need for it you definitely want your health minister and his officials or her officials to talk to hospitals doctors nurses insurance companies patient groups etc listen to everyone see who's got the best solutions, who's got, you know, good arguments to put forward, and then take those on board, because how else would you go about it in a very complex world? I remember back when we spoke to Johannes Kleinberg from Heartbeat Labs, he said that a crucial part of what they're doing at Heartbeat Labs is kind of mediating that communication between, you know, government, other stakeholders, other health professionals to make sure that it's a really informed decision. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's super, super important for the health industry and other industries as well. Yeah. So what Johannes is doing, what, what Sophie's doing at Kuna Medical um, is very much overcoming the traditional barriers. So the traditional barriers often enshrined in law in the health sector don't necessarily suit patients. They may suit the incumbents, but not the patients. So it really depends on how it is done and it fulfills a really important role in, in society and in a democracy and really it's democracy in action if it's done properly and ethically. The one problem with this is that there are lots of people that want to have a say and get their voice heard. Um, what do businesses need to consider when they're trying to make their point um, cut through all the noise? They need to get in early. So I think the biggest mistake is to miss the boat and then come in late and hope to change anything or make your voice heard when basically opinions have been formed. So get in early is very important. Secondly, they're usually official channels like the European Union often asks for comments, puts out consultations, actively invites stakeholders to voice their opinions in a very structured way. And you should always participate in those if it affects you. Because if you don't do that, it's much harder later on to say, but you didn't listen to me or I have an idea as well if you didn't go through the official channels. These kinds of websites like the European Commission can often be difficult to navigate for people who aren't familiar with how it goes. Do you have any advice for people that aren't really on top of their political communications yet to get into it and to know what to look for? Yeah, it's very transparent, but you're right, there's a lot of information. So there are probably two things one should monitor. One is the, the Midday Express, so all the press releases and commentary the European Commission puts out uh, at the middle of each working day. Um, and there are newsletters which inform you of, of new consultations. So you can even choose the industry in and say, if any um, consultation comes out in pharma, please alert me. So you don't have to check every day, but rather you wait for the information to come to you. So they're pretty good tools and mechanisms. But as all the professionals know, um, this is only part of the story and you really need to be in personal contact with the people who, uh, you know, look after your sector and be in constant dialogue and be helpful to them. So it's clear that political communications is super important for anyone in business. Next up, we're going to be talking about how CEOs can master political communications for their own benefit.
Okay, so political communications. Why should the CEO be involved? Why shouldn't they just hire someone who's head of policy? Yeah, I think both is important. You need specialists who do this on a day-to-day basis. But the CEO is really important in the context because he or she has access to the highest levels of government. So there obviously rules of engagement and they say that the CEO, for instance, can meet ministers. Usually the lobbyists don't meet ministers. They meet people a couple of levels below or maybe the deputy. So it's important for the CEO to be involved to give access and to make the voice heard. So that's one part. The other part is that In political communications and advocacy, it's very important to build coalitions because on your own, you probably never achieve your objective. You you will never be important enough against all the other people and interests uh, out there. So you need to build coalitions. And the CEO is usually in a very good position to do that. He can reach out to other CEOs, to heads of trade organizations, to very important stakeholders, to third parties who can endorse the cause. So that's that's another reason he can or she can build um, coalitions at the highest level. I think a good example of that is Paul Pullman, who's the um, or he was the CEO of Unilever, and he yeah. was building a heroic chief executives coalition. And I think that's really a nice initiative in terms of tackling climate change. And there's also um, who is it like the top thirty companies are coming together to say that they will reduce emissions by 2050. Yeah. And yes, it's like a very bold claim, but I think it's absolutely necessary for these leaders to be the one to take the first step forward if we want to achieve any change there. Yeah, exactly. So they can initiate change, they can build coalitions in a way that, you know, people below them just can't. So that's really important. And the third one would be um, they can be very helpful in building public support for a cause or an industry uh, because they're recognizable faces and voices and they can use that. So one example is the Valuable 500 campaign, um, which is campaigning for improved disability rights in the workplace. And um, I think 500 top executives have signed up to champion BSU in their boardroom. So those things are really important. On the whole, you know, the person at the top of an organization needs to take the lead when it comes to the really important question and that often includes political questions. I think when it comes to political communications, CEOs and executives can be a little bit wary because obviously anything you say here can and will be used against you. So who in your opinion is doing political communications well? When you look at the outcome, you will have to say big tech. They obviously have a lot of resources and they're very good at the technical side of things as well. And digital public affairs is is growing in importance. Uh, That changed a little bit in 2016 after the last presidential campaign. And you can see this uh, in Europe with the new copyright law, which was, you know, where where Springer, the publishing house and the traditional publishers all of a sudden got a lot of public support and political support for their opinions, which were contrary to the big tech companies. Uh, But they, they won the argument in Europe that, you know, there should be more stringent copyright law to protect traditional publishers. So I think big tech traditionally did it very well, but now we can see the traditional publishing houses have learned a lot and are using public opinion in the way the ways they can shape public opinion. That's um, super interesting. And obviously, it's really nice to see a change um, in who is doing political communications well. Obviously, there are some clear pitfalls to avoid. Yeah, there are. Um, not knowing the rules of engagement, that's that's a huge pitfall. So not every CEO necessarily is, is at home in politics. They often find it too slow moving, too much theatre, not enough doing. So there are a lot of prejudices, I think, on both sides um, of that spectrum, you know, business versus politics and vice versa. So not knowing the rules of engagement, look at Uber, for instance. They were quite successful in the US, so just going in the market, not asking for permission, rather ask for forgiveness doesn't work in Europe. A lot of big US companies have, have had to learn that lesson. I think Uber's a really interesting case study that you bring up there because obviously their very aggressive gung-ho strategy worked incredibly well in the US. 
And I think it would have worked well here too, except that there were so many laws in place that they actually couldn't circumvent. And that brings it back to these e-scooters that were kind of lying in a grey zone for quite a while. And I think, certainly not that I'm condoning that, but I think this kind of really brings that point home is that you need to be aware of your political landscape and where exactly you can fit into that um, and how the laws may change because the e-scooter companies that have just popped up now in Berlin, they've been ready for this law to change yeah. for a year. Yeah, yeah, they were really well prepared. I mean, from Uber in London, they didn't get a license for some time or the license was not renewed because, you know, they said, well, if you play by our rules, great, you get a license, but you're not making up your own rules, so you have to play by ours. And th I think they learned that lesson uh, the hard way. So we talked about the fact that sometimes CEOs can be a little bit wary of what they're saying in the political arena, which I think completely makes sense. But do you think sometimes CEOs can be too cautious? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I think that pendulum swings both ways. They can be too brash, too upfront, or they can be too cautious. Some CEOs go and see a minister and, you know, have a nice conversation, then think something will change. Obviously, it doesn't. So you need to really understand um, the mechanisms. And I always advise companies to think about common interests. So rather than asking for something, think about something where you can work together, where, you know, you can maybe help the minister or the government or the regulator and work on something together. What are your common goals, commonalities, common interests? That works much better than, oh, you need to do this for me approach. What about topics that don't directly affect your company? Do you think you should voice your opinion on those? That's a really interesting question. And there's obviously a lot of debate about this. And you've seen this with um, some CEOs like Siemens Joe Keza, who's been, become one of the CEOs who's most prominent uh, publicly because of outspokenness on political issues. They're not directly affecting the business. Uh, for instance, he called for a much clearer immigration policy in Germany after the 2015 refugee crisis, to, to name just one example. In my view, it really depends on the CEO. If the convictions are genuine and if the opinions are genuine and well-founded, I think by all means um, say it because you have a public role as part of your office. Um, so you can make use of that to shape society for the better. You're an important stakeholder and you're allowed to voice your opinion, absolutely. And I actually think people um, in the position such as the CEO of Siebens really have a responsibility to voice their opinion on these issues because they do have a lot of impact and a lot of power and responsibility. Yeah. Um, if you're not saying anything against climate change, then by not saying anything, you're really saying you're for it, which is really not acceptable. That's right. And another aspect is that um, millennials become a bigger part of the workforce. And I think they, they're expecting um, the, their leadership and, and companies to be more outspoken about things they believe in. Um, there are downsides, of course, and we shouldn't neglect them. So um, let's say you um, enter into political debate on a controversial question. You may win over some people, but other people may not like what you say. They may call for boycotts. They may not buy your products anymore. So there's the downside as well. Um, so it comes really down to, is this genuine and also in the interest of the company? If it is not, if it's just a way to sell more sneakers, oh, if I say X, then more customers will buy my product. I think people are smarter than that. And that will at best be a short-term strategy, but shouldn't be pursued. I think that goes back to something we talk about a lot on this is authenticity. Yeah. Um, and we talked about this a couple of episodes back when it came to Pride Month. Um, and lots of companies, you know, put the rainbow flag over their logo to kind of show solidarity. But was it, you know, was it true solidarity or a marketing ploy? And people are very split on this, you know, at least they're saying something and supporting the pride movement, which is very commendable. But also if it is just a marketing ploy and they go back to their, you know, contradictory actions next month, then what was the point? Yeah, exactly. Cool. So what trends should CEOs be aware of when creating a political communication strategy? 
Um, I think it's very clear that the way businesses and CEOs interact with politicians has changed completely. A personal relationship, for instance, having meetings and phone calls, um, that's still there, of course. That's still important and has to be done. But there's an increasingly digital element to that relationship as well. We talked a little bit about digital before and how it's really affecting political communications. A lot of stuff can be done online now, which didn't used to be. Um, And I think that allows people to get way more involved in political communications as well. Yeah, especially say if opinions are formed on Twitter on political questions you need to be there. Otherwise, how do you shape that, help shape the opinion? And we, um, if you remember last year, we did a study on digital public affairs and looked at how active are the, you know, the most important companies in a number of important markets. And we found that pretty much all of them have digitalized their public affairs to some extent with dedicated public affairs websites, newsletters, uh, social media, of course, Twitter and LinkedIn. And I think this trend is only going to continue. The question now is no longer, should I have it? But how do I actually make an impact rather than just be present. hundred percent. I think it's really time for all companies, um, if they have something political to say, to double down on that and really spread that on all their channels. Are there any other trends you're seeing in political communications? Yeah, I think corporate communications, marketing, public affairs, political communications, it's all becoming more and more one, at least in terms of the techniques that are applied, in particular due to the digital factor, which we just talked about. So these used to be very separate disciplines with separate teams, separate mindsets, marketing working digitally for a long time, political comms only starting to do so. So you see more and more integrated approach that makes sense for a lot of companies because these disciplines have become much more alike. So if you have corporate channels online, how do you use them? Um, some use dedicated channels for public affairs, for instance. Some just have corporate channels where they, which they use also for, for political information. So there are various ways of going about it, but there's no getaway from the fact that everything is becoming more digital and the tools are becoming more like. I think if you're a CEO in today's society, political communications is really something that you can't avoid anymore. What would you say is the best advice for CEOs who are ready to tackle this? You have to step up to the mic. You have to be able to do that. You have to play the political game. And I remember a meeting I had with um, my CEO at EasyJet at the time. Uh, We went to see, I think, the British ambassador in in Brussels. And I took him there because I wanted to hear from them that we have to play the political game. And she said to him, if you're Europe's fourth largest airline, you have to play the political game. And I think that message is true for so many companies. And I think when companies start out, they ignore it. But they soon realize, just like crisis communications, these are things you can't get away from if you want to grow and be successful as a company. You just have to play the game because it's you're operating in a society where politicians shape the rules and you want to be part of that. Exactly. And I don't think that's a bad thing to be part of the political game if you're speaking up for things that you and your company believe in. Actually, I think that's super commendable and absolutely necessary in today's society. Yeah. I mean, in a democracy, everyone is entitled to voice their opinion. That includes uh, companies and other organizations. Everyone is doing it. It's important to do it ethically. But if you do that, it's part of democracy. It's democracy in action. Thanks so much, Oliver, for sharing your two Thanks, cents Lena. on political communications. Of course, uh, you can head to our website, eopsocommunications.com, to learn more about political communications or follow us on social media at eopsocoms. See you next time.